theyeshiva.net. So we have now to explain the difference that the Baal HaTanya articulated at the end of the paragraph about Lechem and HaShemayim, Samachvav, column 2, Samachvav, Omid Beis, page 131, the difference between, to use his words, the Hiskalalus, the way it is in the world of Akudim, versus the Hiskalalus, the way it is in the world of Berudim. As explained, there are three universes, three states of reality, Akudim, Nekudim, and Berudim, or, to use a different, different terminology, but the same concept. And I'm going to go now from bottom up. Brudim, which is Olam HaTikun, Nikudim, which is Olam HaToyu, and above Toyu and Tikun, which is the world of Akudim. And the way the Kabbalah defines Akudim is, Akudim, that the ten lights are bound up, they're integrated, they're synthesized in one vessel, one container. We're in Toyu, there's ten lights and ten vessels, and each one is completely self-contained, with no give and take. It's called Eser, Nekudos ze tachas ze, or zu tachazu, actually, Lashonakeva, one below the other, meaning no integration. And then in Brudim, where the ten are working as a structure, what we call a partsuf, which means an organism. The definition of an organism is you don't have one limb doing its own thing. The definition of a body, of a partsuf, is that every component is constantly interwoven, interconnected, integrated with all of the other components, and there is a central nervous system, the brain, that actually is the GPS. It contains every single limb, it navigates every single limb, it directs it, it experiences it. There's like a central system in which all of them find, find a place, and all of them are working, are working together. That's what a functional part of is, and when you don't have that, of course we can appreciate the detrimental consequences. Did you once say that in, Bru- in Akudim, the, the spheres are, are all dinim in their bone shalom? Oh, yeah. such a Lushan, I think. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, like so actually, that Lushan, if you see here, that Lushan is basically, I mean, almost, when he says here, that the toikif of the of the midos, the way they're in Akudim, is not mitzat toikif hamohus, it's mitzat gilu yorin sof. That was a quote from this Maimer, basically. That was a quote. He doesn't use the word din, because that wouldn't apply to Olam uh, HaKudim. I used it for Amtaka Saloshin, for the Yeshiva Sha'olam. So let's try to understand, understand what this means, at least a little bit. When we speak about worlds, when we speak about worlds, whenever you hear the word worlds, it's very easy, it's, it's extremely important. Spiritual vocabulary is a very different vocabulary than a halachic vocabulary or certainly a material vocabulary. It's not just this different concepts, it's a different vocabulary. And that's important. When you speak about different concepts, you still may be talking the same vocabulary, but you're introducing new concepts. When you speak about these things, it's really a person has to appreciate that the vocabulary changes. And that's really sometimes the greatest challenge to be able not to learn a new concept, but to be able to learn a new vocabulary. It's like a, a new world. So when we speak about three worlds, we don't really mean three worlds as we would understand three worlds. Here, we're living on a planet, and then there's another planet somewhere else, and then there's a third planet somewhere else, and one is called Akudim, one is called Nekudim, one is called Brudim. And if you get into a spaceship, right, so you'll leave the Earth, and then you'll hit another planet. So one day you'll come to the moon, as they did in July 69, and then maybe one day 
you'll hit Olam HaYitzir, and then one day you'll hit Olam Abri, and then one day, maybe a hundred billion light years away, you'll crash into Olam HaTzilus, and then if you go even further, you'll meet Tayu, and you'll explode. With the Shvira Sakelim, just like Tayu exploded. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Huh? Before born is not a different world? Huh? Before you're born is not a different world? Before you're born? What do you mean? I'm saying don't confuse this to be spatial terms. Uh, like they're no. You have to learn spiritual vocabulary. Everything is right here. There's no different worlds. Everything is right here. Ganadin is here. Ganem is here. It's basically a different set of glasses. It's all perceptions. The same reality, the way it's perceived in a different way. Atzilus is here. Bria is here. Yitzir is here. Asiya is here. The Rambam writes in Luchas Truva. It's called Olam Haba, not because it doesn't exist now. Olam Haba, he says, is not a future world that's going to be. He says, Olam Haba is just a world that one can experience after death. The Rambam and Hilchus Tshuva. You hear? Olam Haba doesn't mean it's a future world. You know, one day there'll be a new world. So Olam Haba is right now. It's just a world that we say is the future because one can experience its reality only if certain distractions are gone. When it says that Yaakov came into Yitzchak for the brachas, it says... Right? Yitzchak felt Ganeidin is there. When Yaesu came and he felt Gehenim was there, well, what, is it? what do you mean Ganeidin and Gehenim? I thought Ganeidin and Gehenim are somewhere else. The Pshat is that uh, you're dealing with reality that is spiritual reality. Spiritual reality is not limited to a space. There's no mockery that this is where it exists, this is where it doesn't exist. So when we speak about three worlds, Yakudim, Nekudim, and Brudim, we really speak about three <coughs> states of reality, three states of consciousness. The same tissue box, the same cup, the same iPhone, the same wallet exists in Atzillus, and Akudim, Nekudim, and Brudim. It's just my glasses are different. And therefore, what I see in this reality is a completely different reality. Generally, when you speak about the words, which is one of the most frequently word, frequent words used in these Maimarim, Seder Hishtalshalos, Nishtalshal, Mishtalshal, Hishtalshal. Hishtalshal comes from the word Shalshalos, which means a chain. But it doesn't mean like a chain, like we learn a chain, you have run, run, rung, another rung, another rung. The chain here means an evolutionary chain where the same reality evolves into different states. And when you're in one reality, the way you see it is in a particular way. If you would be able to be in a different reality, you would look at the same item, the same person, the same object, the same circumstances, but you would see something else in it. You would see something deeper in it. And then in a higher world, you would yet see something else in it. And that's what Seder Ishtarshul is. It's the same reality, but it evolves in a way that in each state, you see something else in it. And then there's a state where you only see the most external layer of it, which is also part of it. It's also part of it. I mentioned this, that even, you know, today in science, we know when you're looking at a table, you know, forget worlds, just one table has many worlds. What do you see? So you'll tell me, oh, I could swear that this is a cup. This is a styrofoam cup. But anybody who even has a basic knowledge of science, the most very primitive knowledge, knows that that's a very, uh, very primitive definition. Yes, it's a cup, I'm not lying. But if you just have some tools of perception, if you just have a uh, microscope and you'll just delve a little bit in, you know that there is a very, very dynamic universe inside this cup, and even in a drop of water, and you're dealing not with millions and not with billions, but many, many more atoms that are uh, swerving around in extraordinary speed and with extraordinary structure, creating 
the ultimate chemistry of this particular item. And so that itself, on an atomic level, there's seeing the atomic and seeing the subatomic level and seeing the sub-subatomic level and sub-sub-subatomic and quantum levels, which is true, which is true. The answer is, depends on your glasses. Depends on your prescription. Depends what glasses you have. All I can see here is a cup. I can swear to you this is a diamond. The Rizal writes, brought in Tanya, there's no such a thing as a diamond, he says. Everything has a soul. Everything has a chius. No such a thing as a diamond. We call it diamond because we define it's diamond. If you'll talk to this cup, it's white from diamond. It's not quiet. It's not silent. It's not lifeless. We define it lifeless because our observation defines reality. Reality is about observation. It's never about reality. You know that, right? Reality is always about observation. Whenever I tell somebody, you're this, you're nothing, I don't know what you are. What I see is, I'm seeing this in you. That humility is one of the first prerequisites for real spiritual understanding. That distinction between reality and observation of reality. Which is why the Balatanya will write in some places that Seder Hishtashlus doesn't really exist. <laughs> it doesn't really exist. It's like, really? And hundreds of my money tell me it exists, and then sometimes they'll say, it's not true, nothing exists. Really? What? This is, this is, you walk, we woke up one day and decided that everything was just destroyed? No, no, it's a very, very important idea. The definition of Hishtashlus is basically perception. Which is existence. That's what God wanted. He wanted to allow. But you have to understand that there's moments of truth when you can transcend perception and you say, all this reality is basically when you're limited in your perception, this is what you see. Now look at it from the divine perspective and the whole thing is something else. The same is true when we speak about akudim, nekudim, and brudim. And this is very important to understand because we're dealing with similar realities, with the same reality, but it's with three different states. One is a state of toyu, one is a state of tikkun, and one is a state that transcends them both. So what are these three states of reality? What are these three states of consciousness? What are these three worlds? Number one, you have ten lights, but they're bound up in one vessel. Number two, you have ten lights and ten vessels, and they're completely distinct, completely fragmented to the point that there's a head-and-head collision, and they smash against each other, and they kill each other, literally. Vayimlech vayamas, vayimlech vayamas. First of all, the keli can't deal with the oil because the oil is too heavy and too infinite and the keli smashes, it just crushes. It would be like you have a boss and the boss is impossible. The boss wants you to work 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, 3 o'clock in the morning you're getting texts and when you don't answer them within 10 minutes, he becomes obsessively wild and will tell you you're not loyal. In other words, you push it can't live. The keli crashes and if you take him seriously and you don't resign you will crash at some point. Huh? Huh? If you could deal with it, deal with it. Sometimes resigning is a good way of dealing with it. I mean, I'm not suggesting that to anybody, but yeah, sometimes that's what you have to do in order to deal with it. Most people survive that way. Huh? Most people survive that way. Most people survive that way, okay. And then you have... And then you have... Uh, I'm not getting you now into business advice. You'll talk to your local therapist and you'll figure it out. But the point here is that the keli crashes. And then you have brudim, and in brudim there is diplomacy. There's ten oiris and there's ten keli, but you know what? Everybody is a little more chilled out. <laughs> and they give breathing room for other people. And it's like, yeah, I'm very important, but you're also important. And, you know, we negotiate, we give, we take, we work together. So what's the difference between toyu and tikkun? He says, in toyu, every mid is betoykev hamohus. And in tikkun, it's chalishus. There's bitl. And he... And he 
and he elevate, he extols it. This is not uh, it's not something to mock. Like he explained before, that Toyo could look at Tikkun and mock Tikkun, but actually Tikkun appreciates the sophisticated idea that there's a truth that's larger than me and you. So it's not just that Tikkun is a is a nebuchal, a shepsala, is a spineless uh, a spineless weakling, and therefore he creates room. The room that Tikkun creates for others is because of the depth of Tikkun, not because of the superficiality of Tikkun. But he says it's very different than Akudim. In Akudim, they also all work together to the point that they're in one keli. It's not even ten kelim. It's not like Tikkun. And over there, they work together, but not because the Midas are weak and you don't feel them in their full strength. You only feel their, their, their manifestation. You don't feel them in their core. In other words, in Toyu, you feel them in their core. And whenever you're in touch with something's core... There's no room for, for uh, there's no room for negotiations. We all know in our life when something affects you to your core, there's no politics anymore. There's no compromise. If it doesn't affect you to your core, you say, okay, I'll come in, I'll do it, I won't do it. If something affects you to your core, something affects you in a way that you feel your very life is being altered, here you'll become a wild, untamed bull. Even a very functional and nice person, because this is it's fight or flight, you're gonna lose everything. Whenever you're dealing with something in its core, there's only room for extremism. Because in its core, you feel it with its full intensity. But in Tikkun, we don't feel things by their core already. We feel uh, we're in touch with it on some level. That's why in Toyu, there's no compromise. In Tikkun, there's a halishus. The moichen already weakens. It weakens the intensity. The mid already doesn't take itself so seriously. It's not in touch with its own core. They're doing it in primal emotions and non-primal emotions. He says, but in Akudim, it's not pshat that the Midas are weak. So why? Why is there unity there? Why is there no Hishalkos? And why doesn't? Why isn't there a collision over there? And the answer is because the Toikov is not Toikov Amahus. The Toikov is Gilead in Safshushli Musa de Kula. And that's why it's one Kli. It's not that there's many Kalim which basically weaken it because Kalim weaken oil. No! There's not many Kalim. There's one Kali, but there's Gilead in Saf and Toikov Ashlemus. And that's what we want to address here. Be'ezin Hashem is one. That's why there's no shir. There's ultimate achas, and yet there's an ultimate toikif in all of the middas. And yet the toikif doesn't create this breakdown that it was going to create in the next level of consciousness, which is which is nikud. What is what is the idea that the Balatanya is teaching us here? We did learn about this. If you remember in Parshas Noyach, we learned about the Dura Flug. Uh, the Dorei HaFlaga, we learned about the world of Akudim, the world of Nekudim, the world of Brudim. He spoke there about the mistake of the Dorei HaFlaga, of Anasalon, Ushem. They actually wanted that Achdus, they wanted to go into a world of unity. So this is, this over here he actually discusses on Akudim, they didn't even bring out over there so clearly this, this whole last tickle, the Maila of Akudim, Lagabi Brudim, that it's not the Chlishus in the Midas, it's a Toikif, but it's not Toikif Amahus, it's Toikif Mitzad Giluyer Saf. You'll see that he uses here a word that's not often used. He uses it a few times. Shleimusa de Kula means it's the Shleimus of everything. A few lines before he also said that in Akudim, because the Gilu Eden Sof is perfect, it's Shleimus Dik, therefore it's Shleimusa de Kula, therefore. 
there's a toikif in all the middas, and yet there's no shvira, there's no hischalkos. Thank you. Now, how do we how do we understand this? So well, first, let's talk about the concept before we apply. <laughs> or to put it in the words that we spoke in the previous year, the pnimius and then the chitzanius. Or to be a little cynical, the boring part and then the exciting part. But really the boring part is really always more exciting. Which is why it's boring. Because <laughs> it's more exciting. We speak about diversity. Chesed, Gvura, Teferis, Netzach, Malchus which is the source of all diversity. The soul is made up of these ten faculties. And that's why the soul is multifaceted and multidimensional. The whole world is made up of these ten building blocks. The ten building blocks of creation are the ten spheres. The spiritual chemistry of the universe are the ten spheres. The spiritual chemistry of the soul are the ten koiches nefesh. The spiritual chemistry of every world, physical and spiritual, are these ten spheres, these ten lights, these ten divine characteristics. And that's the source of all diversity. And that's why Basar Mamaris Nivraha Oilam. And that's why there's Aseris Adibris. And that's why there's Eser Makis, as the Svasemis often writes, that the ten Makis allowed the world to convert from Asara Mamaris to Aseris Adibris. So the number ten. Huh? Ten, seven middas, and then you have also Chachma bin Adas, it's three moichim. The Shvira of Toyu happened in the middas, not in the moichim, because it's the moichim that it caused no Shvira, right? That's why there were seven kings who died, you understand? The Shvira of Toyu is because the middas had no moichim, because Moich Shalatul Alev, the Moich weakens the middas, so therefore in Tikkun you have Ha'ores HaMoichim, which he called Shem Ma, and that's why the middas are weakened because mayach shalat alalev but in toyu you have the middas in their full primal expression and when you start negotiating with the middas the middas look at you and say there's no room for discussion there's no room chesed gvore teferis netzachoy yisoyed malchus that's where the shvira was vayimlech vayamas vayimlech vayamas the eighth king if you remember the eighth king Hadar didn't die that's actually Bina that's actually Bina, it didn't die. Over there there was no Shvira. The Shvira is always in the Middas because the Meichen are missing over there. Ha'ares HaMeichen is missing there. In Tikkun you have Ha'ares HaMeichen, which is Shema, and therefore it's weaker. Moshe Rabbeinu is not the Ha'ara of Shema, Moshe is Etzim Shema, which is why Moshe is struggling with giving Torah. He doesn't he says, it's not for me. I cannot come down into the world of Middas. That's not my thing. Moshe is Pnimi Yishachma. The Chachma that comes down to Midas is always the Chitzonius Chachma, never Pnimis, because Pnimis doesn't come down anywhere. Pnimis is what it is. It's a state of being. It's not a state of illuminating somebody else. Whenever you're illuminating somebody else, it's already not you. It's already the way you are appreciated by that somebody else. And that's what all leadership and communication is about, as discussed in the previous year. So, all this diversity, Chesed, Word, Tefers, Netzachad, Yisrael, Malchus, where did it exist before creation? Where did all of this exist? We say Hashem Echad. Hashem is not made up of ten pieces. Chas v'shalom. The Rambam and Hilchis Yisodia Torah elaborates at length. Elikazeh is not Murkov. It's not like a body which is made up of many different components and it becomes one body. Hashem Echad doesn't mean Hashem is made up of heads and toes and limbs and, and, and feet, even spiritual. Even spiritual limbs. One of the great things that you have to graduate when you learn the Torah is to stop associating God with spirituality. Spirituality is also an existence. Spirituality is also a creation. When you say God is spiritual, from his perspective, it's as 
erroneous as saying God is physical. And it's a very important idea which has tremendous ramifications. That God is spiritual is as erroneous as God is physical. Spirituality is a form of existence. And in many ways it's even more dangerous to say God is spiritual than God is physical. Because God is physical is hard to believe. God is spiritual is easy to believe. But God is not spiritual. So therefore, even to say God, chesed, gvur, teferis, love, emotions, or wisdom, these are all traps. These are all, what do I mean traps? They're true, but they're only true as manifestations. They're basically emotions that Hashem identifies. But what, 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 where are all these middas in God Himself, pre-creation? Do they exist? Don't they exist? Is this like a new thing that happens? The answer is, and that's the word here, shleimusa dekola. Shleimusa dekola means the perfection of everything. Shleimus is the word shleimus, which means wholesome, shalem, as in shalem complete, shalem peace, which is also complete, by Yavah Yaakov, shalem, Yaakov comes whole, that's the word shleimus, and it's also the word shalem, because when there's peace, there's wholeness. When there's no peace, there is uh, there is no wholeness. I, <laughs> I was talking yesterday, uh, he met me, there's a big asking in a particular Hasidic court. So he was consulting about uh, this... <coughs> Some uh, they're expecting some huge machlokes there, and he wants to, whatever. So we we're talking about it. So, um, so I told him it looks like that there's uh, that after after the spiritual leader may uh, move on, um, there's going to be yachats there. There's going to be yachats. He says that would be fine. He says yachats. I don't mind if heaven's going to be matzamel. <laughs> yachats would be good, but matzamel, right? So vayove Yaakov shalim. When there's no shalom, we're broken. We're broken. Shalom means that there's peace. When you say Hashem is Shleimusa de Kula, Shleimusa de Kula means there's complete peace, there's complete wholesomeness, because infinity includes every possible reality. Endless possibility means that there's endless possibility. If you exclude any possibility from endless possibility, it's not endless possibility. So when you say you're in a state where there's endless possibility, it means there's endless possibilities. There's no possibility that's excluded. And that's really one of the great definitions of Ein Saif, that there's no definition. Which is why it's so wonderful that he never calls God, God. The, the best he will use, the only name he'll usually use is Ein Saif. Because the greatest definition of Ein Saif is that it has no definition. And that's the best thing to know about God, that you know nothing. That the moment you give it a definition, even a possible definition, it's already not Ein Saif. Ein Saif means... Stop giving me definitions. <laughs> Don't put me in any box. Don't define me. Ain't soif means there's no soif. No soif means there's no limit to it. No limit means there's nothing excluded. If there's nothing excluded, don't turn me into orange, don't turn me into yellow, don't turn me into blue, don't turn me into red. Which is why, if you remember, a few days we spoke ago, we spoke about Kibitzelem Elikim Asa Adam. Hashem has no image. He's imageless. And because He's imageless, the only way we could connect to something that's imageless is when we don't get stuck in one image. Because if you get stuck in one image, you're not aligning yourself with the imagelessness of God. You're aligning yourself with a God that you created in your image. And that's really the question of religion. Is religion a God that's created in man's image? Or is religion about man who's created in God's image? And it's two different types of religions. There's a religion today where God, 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 but it's my God. <laughs> I create him. I create him in my image. My conception of what God is, that's the God I worship. In other words, I'm worshiping my narrow-mindedness. I'm not worshiping God. I'm worshiping my creation of God. 
The Hebrew Bible, if you want real English, so what we call the Helekatira, says, Kibitzelem Elekim Sadam. As far as we're concerned, God created me in his image. I don't create him in my image. And the first prerequisite for understanding that is that he has no image. So Ain't Saif really means endless possibility. And I use the word possibility. Because I'm not saying God is an endless reality, because what does it mean an endless reality? He's this and this and this and this. No. He's a Shleim Musa Dekula, which means every conceivable type of reality cannot be excluded from him. And yet I'm not going to define him by it. Because that's again going to be compromising the ancient side. That's the significance of the word Shleim Musa Dekula. Shleim Musa Dekula means it's the sum total of everything, but it's not even the sum total of everything. It's, the, it's that which also transcends the sum total of everything. It's the possibility of everything. <laughs> Eilam Haba is also a distraction in this sense. When, when we are in Eilam Haba, we cannot define it. No. Right? How can a finite mind understand infinity? How can a finite mind understand infinity? I don't know if a finite mind can understand infinity, but a finite mind can understand that it doesn't understand infinity. Which is pretty good. <laughs> and especially, and, and, and the soul has an element of infinity in it, so there's a certain, when a person can open themselves up to that, there could be a certain experience of infinity, yeah? Concept of understanding is finite. Of course, the very mechanism of trying to understand infinite is part of the finite experience. It's not just what I understand, it's the very fact that I'm trying to understand. Understanding is negotiating reality from a particular perspective. You heard what I just said? Understanding is negotiating reality from a certain perspective, which is fine, it's beautiful, but that's what it is, and it's always perspective. That's why Chachma is part of Ishtalshalos. It's a mechanism of defining reality. Is it a great mechanism? Yeah. It's the most brilliant mechanism we have. <laughs> and it's something you have to cherish. It's called a mind. But remember, it's a mechanism of negotiating reality. It's called making sense out of things. The only real reality is that there's an answer. You have to be subtle here. I didn't say there's no real reality. I said... There is real reality, but all reality we talk about is basically our observation of it, and that makes it real. It's real in that sense. When is it real? real? <laughs> well, different question. The soul, you said, can't understand infinity? I would say the soul can't understand infinity, the soul can experience infinity. I'll tell you a word from the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rasham. You have spiritual masters could convey profound, profound ideas in one-liners. This is what he says. You could think about this for a few years. The neshama zet. The neshama zet. The seichel stelt sich far. Und the hearts leapt iber. The soul sees. The mind imagines, speculates, and the heart experiences. The soul sees, the mind tries to grapple with reality. On the heart's left iber, three components of the human personality, three elements. And each one is what it is, it has to remain what it is. The soul sees, the soul is a chelik mal, the soul is ein saif, and you have the, the seichel. Very precious. Seichel is very precious. You never denigrate Seichel. 
never denigrate seichel. Seichel is the great gift of mankind, hopefully. And then you have midas, you have the heart, and the heart lives. The heart, the heart breathes, the heart pumps, the heart experiences, the heart feels, feels. Now, you yeah. only elevate perspectives with seichel, right? Yeah. But Seichel has to, at some point, reach a limit and say, this is where I can go to. Through the door, I can't take you through the door. Seichel can't take you. Seichel can take you up to the door, but it says, there's a stop sign here. <laughs> the heart's leptibber. You know what leptibber means? A leptibber. He's, he's living it through. It's, 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 experience. An experience. it's an emotional experience. Yeah, It's not an intellectual pursuit. It's a whole different experience. It's an experience. of It doesn't see, but it's a leptibber. Selective. Now, what, what is in this equation for a person? What is more important? What's more important? Because since even the writer's mind cannot really grasp it, it seems to me that what the Shama experiences and what the heart feels, you know, if it's a line, is that is more important for the person than? really try to, to uh, use your limited ability to understand. You said from the Rayats tonight. What? You said from the Rayats, but you'll never understand. If you would have understood, you would have been wrong that. That's not from that. That's from Rabbi Yosef Alboy, <coughs> one of the early Jewish philosophers. He wrote a sefer called Sefer HaIkirim. Some of the same called Pchines Oilam. Great works of Jewish that have an expression. Ilu Yedativ Heyisiv. If I would know him, I would be him. <laughs> you say, how does God, if I would know him, I would be him. You know what I mean? I would quit my job. I would, I would do something else for a living. I would be God. If I, you could understand him, so then just be him. You know? <laughs> it's Hainuach. Now, so you get what we're talking about, Shleimusa the Kula, the source of endless possibilities, Ein Sof. So does Ein Sof have Chesed? Of course. Does it have Gvura? Of course. Does it have Teferis? Of course. And how strong are they in the Ein Sof? I ask you now. How strong are they? Are they weak or are they potent? What's the answer? Ah! So they're in the greatest, they're unlimited. In the Ein Sof, they're infinite. So it's much worse than Toyu. <laughs> it's much worse than Toyu. I'm saying more dangerous than Toyu. Huh? And suddenly, volatile. volatile, it's ain't safe. At least Toyu is a creation. At least Toyu, there's some, uh, you're busy negotiating. At least in Toyu, you're in a war, you're in a fight. You know, the, 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 the one guy has muscles and you have muscles. But in, but over there, you should have the greatest explosion of all. So there really should be a shvira, if you would think The biggest shvira. But the answer is, of course over there, it's ain't safe. But what's the gather? And we're going to go back to yeshivish language because they have a good vocabulary for this. But what's the gather of chesed? In Toyu, the gather of chesed or gvur or what's the gather? The gather is vayimlech vayamos. I'm I'm the king. Gvur is truth. Tiferes is truth. Netzach is truth. Yesod is truth. Malchus is truth. The ultimate truth. The only truth to the exclusion of all others. Like they announced by the chuppah. These are the two ages to the exclusion of all others. I'm the truth, and truth is one in the world of Tayu. Truth is one. In Tikkun, truth is not one. Truth is diversified. Truth is fragmented. Everybody has a little piece of the truth. Nobody has the whole truth. But what's the gather of the chesed in Tayu? Chesed, gvura, teferis. And when gvura is primal, intense, volatile, infinite, 
and kind of create room for others. So people who are in a mode of, of gvura, they get angry, and there's no negotiation. They're angry all the way. All the way. When you're in a mode of netzach, you're a bulldozer, there's no backing off. So how do we deal when we say Yitzchak gvura? Gvura of tikkun. In Kedusha, there's no only. In Kedusha, there's never only. In Kedusha, there's always a skalalos. Klal Gadol in Kedusha, there's always a skalalos. The Gemara says, you don't say Adavash HaBekdusha, Pachas Me'asara. Why? Why can't I say Kaddish and Baruch in my house? What's going to happen? God is going to get insulted? You ever thought about it? Huh? What did they explain to you as a kid? What's important of a minion? Okay. number. <laughs> Okay, so let's explain. Let's explain. is a very profound idea. It means if I don't have ten people, I don't have a skalalos. I don't have different types. If I don't have different types, I can't capture an imageless God. You understand? So could only be said because every minion is a microcosm of the ten spheres coming together. When you have ten people, you have ten universes. Always. And when they come together and they agree to say Yisgadol v'Yisgadol Shmei Rab, it's like God is like, wow. <laughs> the Jews agreed on one thing. <laughs> says Yaakov Avinu woke up from his dream and he says, Ein Zekim Beis How did he know? He said, a place where even the rocks get into a fight with each other has to be a shul. <laughs> Only in a shul can the stones of the wall fight with each other. Other places the stones get along, right? So finally the Jews... Okay, that's more humorous, but the Teichen Advarim is... A only comes with Hiskalalus. That's the Chmail of Tikkun, which Toyo doesn't have. But now we're going back to Shlemus and the Kula to Eim Over there you should have the biggest Shvir in the world. Everything is endless. The answer is that in Akudim, again I quote the words here because there's no better way of saying it, the Midas, the Toykev of the Midas is not Toykev HaMohus. It's Toykev Mitzad Gilui Oyrin The Geder of Gvura in Eim Saif is not Gvura. The gathered of Gvura is, it's a din in the Ein Soif. So let's understand. In Toyo, the Ein Soif is a din in Gvura. In Akudim, the Gvura is a din in the Ein Soif. The, the ten spheres. The ten, these are ten dinim in the Ein Soif. There could have been... Atazah. Uh, infinite, they, could be, they could be infinite. There are infinite. There are, so Kodesh chose these Yeah, things. he chose ten. And as the Altar Rebbe writes somewhere, Velama asara elu <laughs> <laughs> That's the word. That's Pshadat Sadin in the Ein Soif. And therefore, it never becomes individuated to a point where it's going to fight its colleague. Why is it not going to fight its colleague? Because its colleague is not its colleague. Its colleague is itself. How is its colleague itself? I express Ein Soif, and you express Ein Soif. That's what Akudah means. That's that's what makes us bound together. If they're bound together, why are you saying it's ten? Don't call it ten. Say there's no ten. I have no problem. You're telling me it's ten, and then you say it's bound together in one clay. Would you making a joke? Yeah. So the, in the world of Akudim, what's nirgish? The consciousness of every midah is that what? It's a hechitimtza of the expression of ain't Saif. It's one of the endless possibilities. And therefore, it never assumes an independent definition. And because it never assumes an independent definition, it never grows into a conflict with that which has an opposite definition. 
Because just like you express the Ein Saif, I also express the Ein Saif. But it's not only I express it, that is my very definition. And because that is my very definition, I have no identity outside of a possibility of the infinite. If I'm a possibility of the infinite, then you and I are completely different, and yet we're completely one. (laughs) And I could be in my most primal infinity, and you can be in your most primal infinity, and there's absolute coexistence. Because the software may be different to go to the computer language, but the hardcore, the hardware is the same. In the hardcore, it's both age safe. And therefore, it's completely one. It's just another din. It's, an, it's a gather in age safe. It's an uptight in age safe. That's the word. It's an uptight in age safe. The ain't safe. How do you teach in safe? You teach in safe. It's an uptight in age safe. It's pshat in age safe. That's it. You're saying pshat in age safe. I'm saying pshat in age safe. I say it this way, I say it this way. Sometimes you'll have it, you're showing them, the Ran will say something, the Rosh will say something, Taisus will say something. They're all saying the same thing. But the Ran has his way of talking. Taisus has its way of talking, the Rosh has his way of talking. They're saying the same thing. Their vocabulary is different. In Olam HaKudim, the vocabulary is different, but they're saying the same thing, even though they're saying it in opposite ways. Chesed is saying it through Chesed, and Gvura is saying it through Gvura. But it's an uptight Shanein Soif. So there's an uptight Shanein Soif, so you have here a very interesting paradox. Each middah has intensity ad, ad infinitum. Did I pronounce that correctly? Huh? Ad infinitum, okay. Ad infinitum. Huh? Which means for this. It, just, it sounds good. It belongs here. You know what I mean? These conversations, it belongs. It means ad ein Soif. Ad Till infinity, Latin, right? So, uh, so, 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 so you have that on one hand. The middis are adain soiv, and on the other hand, there's complete unity. Not only there's unity, we say it's channeled through one vessel. In other words, in the expression, you're not going to have ten expressions, even though you have ten lights. There's no differentiation. Why is there no differentiation? If there's no differentiation, don't say it's Allah Mahakudim. Don't say there's no ten. Say there's one, just like in God Himself. And we'll soon see, let's not get, we'll soon see there's something deeper than Akudim. Because in Akudim you're already talking about ten. You're not talking about one. If you're talking about one, then you don't have to make a pilpul that it's Akud, then it's Bekli Echad. It's one. Of course it's one Kli. In Akudim, first of all, there's a Keli. Keli means there's already a receptacle, there's a container, there's a mechanism of expression. But the Keli is one for all ten, but the ten are opposites. And in Toyo there's going to be a war. How suddenly are they in one Kli? The Pshat is because in Akudim, what's Nergish? What's Nergish is ain't soif. And ain't soif is Shlemusa de Kula. Such Shlemusa de Kula. You have this possibility, you have this possibility, you have this possibility. And they're all basically the possibility of infinity expressing itself. So it's one Kli. What happens in Toyu is, in Toyu, the intensity remains, but the source of the intensity is diluted. The source of the intensity is concealed. So now what happens in Toyu is, each Nida feels its full impact and its full identity, but what it loses is the awareness that its identity essentially is just a possibility of Ein Saif. So now what happens is, the Ein Saif now becomes a din in me, rather than I'm a din in the Ein Saif. The Uptach Geitavek. Chesed is nicht an Uptach in Ein Saif. Ein Saif is an Uptach in Chesed. My Chesed is Ein Saif. There's no room for anything else. This is truth. I hold on to this truth and I'll fight for it till the end because there's no other truth. Why? Because tell you, every middah feels, I am God. I am God. And if I am God, how can I compromise? I have to fight infinitely. 
So I use the quality of Ein Tzayv, but what am I using it for? I'm using it for to define my Midah, each Midah. So now each Midah is completely intense, just like it was before completely intense, but now its intensity suddenly becomes to the exclusion of all others, because my identity is experienced. So instead of my identity simply being a possibility of infinity, my identity is basically about my identity. And therefore, for me to be king, you can't be king. I wait till you die, and then I emerge. I kill you in order to be born. In Akudim, I never kill anybody. Huh? Well, over here, there's a Shvira. From the Shvira becomes the world of Klippa. As he said in Parshas Va'era in the mind. Now comes the next step. So what happens in the Kudim? The Kudim is really very close to Akudim because you still have the intensity, the primal extremism, the volatile quality. But it's a quantum leap in the sense that in Akudim there was complete Achdos and in Toyu there's complete Shvira, complete Pirut. Even though the energy there is very, very powerful and very, very beautiful, but it's to the exclusion of others. That's what happens. That's why each sphere is completely self-contained. I'm not Emlech. I'm not an uptouch in Seif anymore. I'm an uptouch in myself. The moment that I'm an uptouch in myself, it's a whole different reality. Now you have the world of Brudim. The world of Brudim looks at this, looks at these two worlds, and says, so what do we do now? What do we do now? We basically, we're not going back to the state of Ein Seif. <laughs> so what do we do? So basically, we have to start preaching to these ten spheres and explaining to them, listen, Chesed, you're a wonderful guy. I love you very much. But you know what? You cannot turn yourself into the ultimate definition of truth. You could see yourself as a fragment of truth, as a speck of truth, as a gray of truth, as a glimmer of truth. Because you're missing information. Because right. you're not seeing the... You're missing information. You have to understand and appreciate the Ein Soif. So Tikkun goes back to Akudim in the sense that it appreciates that Ein Soif is larger than anyone individually. But on the other hand, you're already in a world of experience. You're in a world of identity. You're not in a world of Ein Soif. You're in a world of identity. And in the world of identity, I am I. I'm not you. Huh? You have your own malchus, you have your own identity, and it's very valuable in Tikkun identity. I am not you, and you are not me, and I can't be you. I can't make believe I'm you, and you can't make believe you're me, because it's going to haunt both of us. Like I told you many times, a husband and a wife who get married, and they decide that the reason our marriage is going to work, because we're mamish twins. We're identical in everything. Let's mach them at cup. And it works for around six and a half hours. Or if you're lucky, six and a half weeks or six and a half months, as long as the honeymoon. As long as you don't get into a fight on the honeymoon. But who's to say? There's no such a thing. So you'll say, you'll turn to your wife and you'll say, in Akudim we were the same. <laughs> so she'll tell you, so go get married to Akudim. <laughs> go get married to Akudim, you know. Go get married to the Gemara, that's fine. <laughs> you want to get married, get married to Akudim. Post-honeymoon, the huh? self disappears. Yeah, that's- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once the, you're not living in a, you're living in a world of identity, what's the best you can do? Here you have to have moichin. You have to have moichin that mixes in, and basically it's like a fan. It's like a, a a fan to cool down, to cool down the untamed ox, and says there's room for your identity, and you have to cherish it. But you also have to understand that it's it's an organism, and you have to create a we out of ah. You have to create a we. And you have to create a one plus one. 
But in Tayu, <coughs> 1 plus 1 equals 2. And in Tikkun, 1 plus 1 somehow can equal more than 2, right? A greater than 2. By revealing that there's something that, that connects them. That there's something, there is an Ein here, And therefore, I give to you and you give to me without compromising the integrity of any of us. I think what there is here is a humility. We spoke of it. Yes, Bittl. But the humility is that since we can't appreciate Esau, once upon a time there was a vision, not in time, but there is a certain vision of Esau which allows us to talk of, exist as, as independent realities. But we're humble enough to say, since we don't have that vision, we know it's there, but yeah. we function. Yeah. Okay, but the question is now let's understand. In Rudem, there was a break. What happened? Why... What happened between Akudim and Akudim? Why couldn't it stay like this? I mean, what was the break that the... Because Hashem wanted that Ein Soif should morph into identity. <laughs> Our world is a world of identity, compartmentalization. I am I, you are you, there's a tree, there's a dog, there's an elephant, and there's a galaxy. <laughs> that's Tachtoinim. To be able to create Adir B'Tachtoinim, Tachtoinim means a world that's not Ein Soif. A world that is basically defined by gvul, by finiteness. And the definition of finiteness is, I am I, and I end right here, and you begin right here. And I cannot invade your space, and you can't invade my space. Huh? God doesn't stay anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God is everything. I mean, God is in this whole process. It's just different ways in which He allows His reality to be manifested and experienced. So now, finally, yeah. what allows, however, a marriage to function once you emerge into separate people? Once you create separate identities, you have to have a memory of Ein Saif. Because you don't have a memory of Ein Saif, then you have the other extreme. And that is, let me just live a single life. That's why the women have a memory of Ein Saif. Always. <laughs> Very good. Their memory is Ein Saif, yes. Their memory is Ein Saif. Huh? When you're in La La Land, you're always good. Whenever you're in La La Land, you're always good to go. Just make sure you don't land. Make sure that the air balloon doesn't land. As long as you're flying in an air balloon, what you call a kudum, doesn't Just keep it up there, you know. Stay up there. Fine. Spaghetti. Sometimes you look up and you say, just don't land. <laughs> just don't land, because you're going to crash. You're going to crash. The question is, once we discover identity, can we still coexist peacefully? And we, can we really create from an I or we? The answer is one thing. If there's a memory of Ein Saif. That's, that's really the mystical basis of what we call the date night. I'm all to, to go and say, all right, we're, we're leaving at the time, we're going to the date night to, to yes. bring back the... the so the, to speak, the, yes, the, yes. Recapture the magic. Yeah, to recapture that magic. Now, can we recapture the magic in the daily grind of life? The answer is, Brudim, Tikkun, has a Ha'ara of Ein Saif that Toyo doesn't have. What's Pshad HaHa'ara? Ha'ara doesn't mean an experience. You're not going back. Ha'ara means a glimmer, a ray, a reflection, a memory. Something that tells you and your spouse we're so different and yet we're so one. We can create something together because there is a larger, a larger story that we can create out of our diversity. Not by compromising our diversity, by actually upholding our diversity, but it would be like pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. Where in Tayu, no, no, no. Tayu, so, in, so you have a funny thing. Tayu really is more loyal to Akudim in its expression. 
but it's really a betrayal of Akudim in its message. That's why it's unstable state. Yes. Berudim is much less loyal to Akudim in its expression. And yet, in its core, in its message, it's much more loyal to Akudim. Toyu looks much more uh, exciting. It's more Ainsaif. But in its ultimate message, it's not loyal to Akudim. Tikkun, which compromises everything and makes it limited, is really more loyal because it appreciates it appreciates Dein Saif. Yes, that's the B'tselem Elikim Asa Sa Adam Zacher in a cave of Barum. Adam is Shema. Adam versus Behema. Behema is Toyu, and Adam is Tikkun. The uniqueness of Adam is the concept of long-term marriages. Right? The Ramban says in Bereshis, why were Adam and Chava created? as Adam, one person, and then split into two. All animals, you had a male horse, female horse, a bull, and a female cow. Hashem didn't make one cow and then split it into two. Why by a person did he make this whole thing? So the Ramban says something very interesting, and that is because there would never be able to be marriage. Because if he created two people, so you would always know that it's two people. For marriage to happen, he creates one person, and then he splits them into two. So there's a deep consciousness that we're really one. What does it mean, Al-Piruchnius? Al-Piruchnius, it means that the uniqueness of Adam versus Behemah is that Behemah really, he's on his own. So even though they get married, but it's basically a, a product of procreation, of reproductivity. Even over there, you need Achdus to create a new generation. Because children are always a link to Ein Saif. Where is Ein Saif manifested in our life? The fact that when we die, there's something that remains after us. Which is the miracle of existence. We are here today, but in many ways, Avram is still alive, and Sarah is still alive, and Adam is still alive, because we're here, look at us. Human mortality is achieved through children. I mean, human immortality. Okay, so Woody Allen once says, I don't want to achieve immortality through children or through my legacy, I want to achieve immortality by not dying. Fine. But we know that that's, uh, that's, that's a wonderful idea. That's a wonderful idea. They say that there was once a priest and a minister and a rabbi discussing in Starbucks what they would like to hear. Uh, at their funerals. So the priest says, I would like to somebody, somebody to say how loyal I was to God. And the minister says, I would like somebody to say what a good friend I was as a clergyman. And the rabbi says, I would like somebody to say, you know, I think he's moving. So uh, we love to achieve immortality just through staying alive. However, immortality is experienced through children, through the nitzchias, binyan day ad forever. For half children, you have to have a male and a female. Alpiteva, right? Maybe the Supreme Court will change it, but Alpiteva, you still need to have a male and a female coming together to reproduce. Why is that? Because children are a link to the Ein Saif. And a link to the Ein Saif only happens when opposites merge. Brudim. That's the memory of the Ein Saif. So the eternity of Brudim can only happen, even in the animal world. Even in the animal, even in the botanic world. Plants, it's one of the fascinating ideas of Chassidus, even plants cannot reproduce if there's no male and female coming together. Why is God so obsessed with boys and girls coming together? The Orthodox hate it, but God apparently loves something about it. There's something very special about it, right? Right? I, I told, I told uh, some teacher of Hassan and Mankal, that he also have to tell people that God made this whole system. It's not a dirty system that was created by the Sultan. There's a terrible misconception now. People are educated about intimacy, that this is like a product of the devil himself, <laughs> the worst thing that ever happened to humanity. The Ramban says it's Kaidah Shakadoshim. People have pchira. You can distort things. You can turn things into dirty experiences. We have to understand these are designs of God. These are holy designs. And it's very, very unhealthy 
when you make chasanam and kalas feel guilty about being human and being Jewish and doing wonderful <coughs> things like loving each other and being connected to each other. Okay, but that's a separate parsha, even though the chassidim are getting excited. So therefore, but we have to understand one nekuda, and that is this. Why is the male and female uh, synthesis so powerful? Because there will not be a new generation without it. Because a new generation always means seeing the bigger picture, outliving yourself, seeing something beyond yourself. In Toyo, that doesn't happen. What does it say about Nadav and Aviyu? All the different reasons that they died. But suddenly in Parshas Bamidbar, there's a new reason. Ubonim loy hoyu lahem. One reason is they got drunk. They went in Eish Zara. Ubonim loy hoyu Ubonim loy hoyu lahem. Nadav and Aviyah were very high souls, extremely high souls. The Erechayim says in Achri Yemayz, they died because they wanted to kiss God. They wanted to kiss God. They said, we don't need all these Maiselach. We're not interested in Tikkun, Pshadas, compromises. We're going to the honeymoon. We want everything. We want the primal experience. They wanted to kiss God. <coughs> and one kiss of God is basically a taste of infinity. But a taste of infinity basically causes, a, you expire the voltage, the electricity is too intense for your body. So you basically melt away in that space. It's a beautiful place to be, but there won't be any children. There won't be any children because that's pshat, they got drunk. They didn't get drunk, some uh, alcoholics. means they got drunk on, on, on ruchnius. They got drunk on, on, on godliness. They got drunk, huh? They got drunk on ein soif. They got very, very close. It's called a sin. But, you know, afmirgezak, that sin. In other words, there are sins that are ugly and there are sins that are beautiful. Nadav and Aviyu's sin was a very, it was a, it was a nice sin. It was a, it, was a, it was a holy sin. It's still a sin. So we process the Ein Saif always through Zachar and Akeva, Tzalem Alekim, synthesis. Because that is what allows us to remember something beyond us and that's where it allows us to tap into eternity, eternity within a structured world, within a world of fragmentation. husband and wife that are exactly alike this whole process. So you, you would suggest divorce? <laughs> you you ever met such a husband and wife? I'm just wondering. Huh? I once met, I once met a couple. They came to me. They had perfect shalom bias, but they had everything different. They were mamish as opposite as you can get. And I was wondering, what's the glue here? What's the glue? And I realized they had one glue. They were both stingy, ad ain't soif. And in their stinginess, they loved each other. They both fought over the last penny, and they would go crazy if a nickel was spent. And that's what they would talk about. This was romance for them. How to, how to be stingy. And it was so interesting, but they found, they found that which somehow connected them to ain't soif. <laughs> the fact that we're one, you know... It's quite a That's pathetic form of Ein Soif, but, but it worked. It was fascinating to me. Huh? Even stinginess. stinginess. We're up to Samach Vav, the second column. Page 131. So we have, we have three states of consciousness that we discussed. The truth is three states of consciousness is not very accurate. I'm just using that term because I don't find a, a better term, because really some of them can't really be defined as consciousness. Consciousness is already uh, quite a dramatic definition. But three states of reality, three states of consciousness, three states of perception, defined here as akudim, nekudim, and brudim, or as akudim, and toyu, and uh, tikkun. And the great distinction was, in the first and highest state, what do we mean by highest? When we say highest, again, we don't mean highest as in 
One is on the third story of the building, and one is the second story, and one is the first story. Highest means a state that is more reflective of the source of reality, the essence of reality, which is Ein Saif. And then lower means a state where it evolves into a situation where there's more distance in the sense that the original quality is not as recognizable and there's somewhat of a distortion. The question is how dramatic the distortion is. That is always what we mean when we say higher and lower in these in these discussions. Never higher as in space, space higher and lower in space. The Rambam says this in Hilchus Yisaydi Atayra. Doesn't matter judgment. Huh? Doesn't matter judgment. No. Yeah, no, not a judgment at all. It's not, it's not a judgment at all. It's a description to understand you know, where, where things originate in and where attitudes originate in. Well, even though it's not a judgment, though, we're still striving to be in a higher state. I mean, not, we're not, we're not being critical of being in a lower state, but we're still striving to be close to the We want to be close to the We have to do something with a higher state, right? Yeah, no, it's awareness. The awareness is very valid. What is the Nikita associated to us? I mean, I understand the higher well, the whole point is that Toyo is, is, is the stuff of the physical world. And that was his whole point, that Gashmis comes actually from Toyo. Right? There's an aspect of Tikkun. The soul is a, 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 essentially a soul of Tikkun. But the interaction with the physical world is an interaction with the world of Toyo. And that's what we're interacting with. Yeah, higher, deeper. But what, is, what do you mean by the word deeper? Yeah, that's what we mean by higher. We don't mean higher there. Right, 100%. Yeah. He said before in the Maimir that all Dvarim Gashlim, Daimim Tzameh, Chaim essentially is Toyo. So, we have a lot of that. So you have this akudim and akudim and brudim, and, and, and briefly the distinction was that in akudim you have all of the midas, everything, but over there the gather is shleimusa de kula. Shleimusa de kula means because of the endless perfection of Ein Saif, it has endless possibilities, including the possibility for each of the midas. So all of the midas are there, and each of them is there in its full intensity, but because their definition is not detached from the Ein Saif. On the contrary, their entire definition is that they're bound up with Ein Saif. They're, as we said, a din in the Ein Saif, an expression of the Ein Saif. So therefore, there's no conflict, there's no breakage, there's no hischalkos. Why? Because the whole mitzias, the whole mechus of the midi there is an uptight in Ein Saif. Mitzat shleimus, this chesed, is good, this defers. In Tikkun, it's the other way. In Tikkun, you also have diversity, and they also get along very well. But the reason they get along very well is because each one of them is weakened. In other words, there is so much more diversity. The distinctiveness is felt, and because distinctiveness is felt, and distinctiveness is felt in a very powerful way, so therefore I have to recognize that things are very distinct from me, and because of that I can create space for that which is very different than me. And... This means that there's a certain element of my identity that is weaker, that is more calm, that is compromised, that is a little more diluted because of the mayach shalat alalev, which weakens the midas. And then you have the state in the middle, which is tayu, which at the surface, tayu is really more reflective of akudim. But really, 
Tikkun is more reflective of Akkodim. Tayyu is more reflective of Akkodim in the sense that the Middas there are very ain't safe. They're very primal. They're very powerful. They're volatile. They're infinite. But on the other hand, what's Nirgish and Tayyu is the ego of the Midah, so to speak, the identity of the Midah, not the fact that it's an expression of ain't safe. And therefore, it becomes egocentric in the sense that it's it feels that it needs to exclude everything else that is not it. That becomes like the enemy. Vayimlech, vayamas, vayimlech, vayamas. And that creates the shvira. So such intense divine energy goes haywire and goes into a state of chaos and falls apart to the point that the shards end the, are splintered and they end up everywhere and they ultimately evolve also. And those are the sparks of Tayu and the shards of Tayu the broken kalim of Toyu that evolve from one world to another world, and then in this world they translate as material, physical, brute reality, which do not bespeak a spiritual source, even though they are all part of divine energy, and that's the secret, as he spoke of food, whether it's the secret of animals especially, but really all physical matter, including all physical food that we need. Now... Shlemusa the Kula means... Shlemusa the Kula, Ein Savasamus the Kula means it's the source of perfection and therefore it has endless possibility. Everything and many more. Why would you exclude anything? From Ein Saif, you don't exclude anything. If you exclude anything, it's not Ein Saif. Ein Saif means it has no limit. In other words, there's no concept that is not part of it. If there is a concept that's not part of it, it means it has a Saif. Just like physically, yeah? I live in this chair, I'm sitting in this chair. I'm not sitting in your chair, because my identity has has parameters. It has gavulim. Okay, so the world is made up of the building block. The building blocks of the universe is ten spheres, the entire universe. Of course, different nivrayim have one emphasized more than another. Just like in people, you have a person who's more. Noited to Chesed, you have a person who's more noited to Gvuri, you have a person who's more noited. Okay, consciously. Everyone has everything, but what do you mean? So, Zayn, why is that Negea? Huh? No, no, in the Midrash you had Shvira. In the Moichin there was no Shvira. Okay, Meichin calms down the Midas. So in, in the Midas, that's where the Shvira of Tayu was. Well, seven Midas. Meichin is three. Chachma bin Adas. The first is Chachma. Huh? Generally, yeah, that's where you feel the intensity of emotion. Adamu yeah. Anefesh. Now, yesterday we defined it in terms of uh, relationships, which it always works, but we defined it more in personal relationships. For example, in a marriage. You'll have a marriage that is based on the conception that everybody is one. Everyone is identical. There's no distinctions. The problem is, when the distinctions emerge, how do you deal with them? How do you deal with the separateness? How do you deal with it? Can you, can you contain that within yourself? Do you have space? And that's the difference of Toyo and Tikkun. But in Taihu, everything is so extreme and powerful that I'm the king, and for me to be the king, you can't be the king, because where in Tikkun, the model is that there's some memory of Ein Saif, some hergish of Ein Saif, and therefore, 
there is coexistence. What looks like compromise is not coming from weakness, but it's actually coming from a depth, from a certain awareness of insight. But you can't compare it to Akudim, because in Akudim, the Midas are not diluted in any single way. On the contrary, they're in their most perfect fashion. Why? Because they're aligned with the source of all infinity. So over there, they're actually more perfect than in Tikkun. They're even more perfect there in Tayyu. And therefore, you would express over there the greatest competition. Because over there, each one is completely ain't safe. But precisely because of that, there's also no, no conflict. Because each one essentially loses that sense of uh, individuality that creates conflict. It sees in the other itself, not because the other is itself, but because what's nirgish, what's felt in each of them is, as I said, that it's an uptight in ain't safe. It's a hechitimtze in ain't safe. It's just another way that the Shleimusa, the Kula, is manifested. It's just another form of the endless possibilities. And therefore, since the endlessness of it is felt, it's an expression of, of, of infinity, so therefore, you are an equal expression of me. Because if it's the Ein Seif, we're actually one. And therefore, it's Akudim Bikli Echa. They're bound up in, in, one, in one vessel. They were never separated. So. They were never separated, right? Even though you speak about ten lights, you're not saying it's one light, you're saying it's ten lights. In other words, you're not speaking the Ein Soif and its source. You're speaking about how the Ein Soif, right, is already a source for endless possibility. But what's felt in each of them is one Pchina, one Nekuda. What is it? What is it? It's a Hagdara, it's an Uptaich, it's a Din in Ein Soif. That's, that's its Gedder. So therefore, what's the real Gedder of Chesed? Ein Soif. What's the real Gedder of Gvura? Not its own identity. Rather, an expression of the source, and therefore it's akudim bekliyachat. If you will, I said this when we learned Torah Parshas Noach. One of the greatest complications in human history is how to create the balance between the yachid and the tzibur, between the individual and the tzibur. We, we learn, we're learning before Masechet Rosh Hashanah tomorrow. Sugi Rosh Hashanah Yud speaks about the fact that there are birthdays in China today. When do you celebrate your birthday? Let's say you were born on uh, Pesach. Your birthday is not Pesach. Your birthday is on the Rosh Hashanah of the Chinese New Year. That's your birthday. So, for example, if I was born a day before the Chinese Rosh Hashanah, the Chinese New Year, right? I was born a day before, right? And in China, Bechlau, when you're born, you're considered already one year old, Stam, as we discussed earlier. So now, one, you're one day old, and you're already two years old. Why are you two years old? Because... Their new year began, and that's considered your birthday. So a day after you were born is your birthday. Ah, you didn't even pass a day. Ah, two days didn't pass. That's your birthday. What is this based on? It's based on the fact that your identity is part of the national identity. Who are you? Who are you? And the answer to that is, you are part of this country. And that's the big question, the balance between Yachid and Sibur. We all understand that if you have people living together... They need to somehow surrender some of their individual rights for the collective. Why? If you're not going to pay taxes, if you're going to say everything I make is mine, so then what happens? You won't be able to support an army, a military to defend you. You won't be able to support an infrastructure that shovels the snow and it's snowing outside. Somebody has to clean the streets, somebody has to pay for it. So these are the rights we, so to speak, surrender for the benefits of having the things that our garbage is collected. Everybody understands there's certain elements that the yachid gives up, whether it's money or time, in order to 
contribute to himself as part of the tzibur, so he should be able to be protected and get the services that he needs. But how much, how much do you cede your own? That's the big question in politics for thousands of years. What's the best regime? What's the best system? Today, you don't have so many people arguing about it very often, although it's quite heated in different areas. But in the last century, after the First World War, and during that time, this became one of the hottest conversations, especially among millions of Jews who identified with socialism and communism, because it was very promising. What was so promising was the idea that there's no ownership. Everybody is really one. The kibbutz movement in early Israel was based on this idea, we all work for the same cause. You harvest the potatoes, and I work in the kitchen. You plant the cauliflower, and I build the tents and the huts. But essentially, the car is owned by all of us, and the wedding gown is owned by all of us. And whenever somebody gets married, we give them the wedding gown. And the food is owned by all of us. If somebody has six kids, they need more bread. And if somebody has one child, they need less bread. This was the idea of socialism, and Karl Marx believed that this is the, it's going to create peace in the world. Because all conflict comes from the jealousy and the hatred and the anger that comes from those who have in contrast to those who have not. And if there could be economic equality, where you don't own anything and I don't own anything, we both contribute what we contribute to society, society owns everything, and society allocates based on needs. So then you and I are completely equal, and the workman triumphs in the long battle of history. There's no king and there's no layman. Everyone, everybody is equal. This spoke to very idealistic parts of people, especially Jews, who are all looking for one Messiah or another. They're all looking for a new world. And uh, and this, this idea was very, very uh, compelling, extremely compelling. It's so compelling that millions of Jews became uh, enraptured by its vision. And many of them were leaders of the Bolshevik Revolution. The most famous, of course, was Leon Trotsky, whose real name was Leibel Bronstein. And even Lenin, I believe, wasn't Jewish, but he came from a Jewish family. And he was, of course, the architect of the Bolshevik Revolution and the 70-year hell that it would create in the Soviet Union and the 50 million deaths that Joseph Stalin would... Uh, cause over the 30 years of his horrific reign from 1924 till Purim till March 1953 so Churchill once said that uh, the difference between socialism and capitalism is he said capitalism he said is terrible because it's the unequal distribution of prosperity of money he said socialism is the equal distribution of misery so misery is distributed equally to everybody. <laughs> of course, not to everybody, because we know that some are more equal than others. But that was a very interesting attempt. In- I say interesting, very fascinating attempt. It came crashing down after 70 years because of the levels of decadence. On paper, it's very idealistic in practicality. It was a hell on earth what they did over there. One of the worst, worst experiments in history in terms of criminal activity, the bloodshed and the violence, etc. Now, that doesn't mean that the system itself is bad. Sometimes the leaders are corrupt. That's what happened. As an animal farm, you know, 
Some people are more equal than others. But here's a bigger question. Is the system essentially correct or not? Is it an Indian? Let's say we have innocent leaders who will not manipulate the situation. Right? The kibbutz movement, a lot of leaders of the kibbutz movement were very, and remained idealistic people. Not everybody. But some of them were very, uh, uh, what's called, uh, uh, they had the... Niki uh, Chapayim, very clean hands. Miyala Baharashab, Kaddish Luz, huh? Yeah, some of them were very Niki Chapayim, you know, they're very, very uh, innocent, very honest in terms of money, in terms of uh, manipulating assets, etc. No, I'm saying some of the kibbutz, kibbutz leaders in Israel. You know, they were very, very idealistic, and they really meant it. I'm not talking about the, 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 the experiment in the Soviet Union, you know, one Stalin, between Stalin and Lenin, I mean, they, these guys were just bloodthirsty murderers of, of, probably Stalin killed the most people that anybody ever killed in history, he killed more people than Hitler killed. And between 30 and 50 million people, one man, one, imagine a man that murders 50 million people in his tenure. I mean, but, huh? No. Lots of Jews too. Everybody, everybody. Between his gulag, ah. Not even close. I'm not being machsha what they did. I'm just saying it's not. Uh, it's not close. So from glasses, I if you wear glasses of Ein Soif, this is exactly what it should be. Everybody's oh, oh, oh. So that's what I want to say here. That's what I want to say. What I want to show you is that the three worlds, Akudim, Nekudim, and Brudim, really, if I could apply it, they really reflect three uh, uh, sciences of politics, three perspectives. The world of Akudim is a very tempting world for the depth of the human soul, which seeks to forfeit individuality and melt away in equality and oneness. It's like that feeling of young people, three o'clock in the morning, sitting with each other and everybody with a guitar, right? Singing the music. There's no boundaries. There's no barriers. There's no hierarchy. There's no responsibility. We're not worried about the future. and We're not thinking about the past. We're just completely melting away in the moment. There's something very compelling in the human spirit, and the reason it's so compelling is because it touches a chord that is very, very deep. And what is that chord? If you trace it all the way up, it's the chord where really there's no distinctions. And even though there are distinctions, from that perspective there's really no distinctions because all the distinctions are just another manifestation of oneness. Would you say a single person could also be in that stage? Sometimes, yeah. It's like that, that, co- that sense of cosmic... Oneness where there's absolutely no distinction. And in many ways, I would argue that if you really want to say this, I mean, it's a little daring, everything has a shayrish in Kedusha. It could be that the shayrish of socialism in Kedusha is Eilam HaKudim. Not that Lenin knew about Eilam HaKudim, or cared for Eilam HaKudim, or even cared for God. The base of the Bolshevik Revolution was, of course, that God is non-existent at all. And economics is ultimately the only driving force. People don't have a soul. All people think about is real estate and money. Maybe he was right about that. But, uh, of course, Judaism believes that humans also have personality. There's individuality beyond real estate. There's individuality beyond money, which was one of the great mistakes. And that is, you create economic equality, right? 
What about motivation? Huh? Take away all motivation. The problem is motivation. Because what's there to motivate me is the mission of Mars is Adam Roy Sabakavshaloy, Yosimitisha Kavamshal Khavera. And uh, is that true to the human spirit? How deep is that? Adam writes of a Kavshaloy. I want to create something. I want to create something. Even if it's completely innocent, even if it's not manipulated. But does it undermine is individuality a real thing? So from Akudim you come into the world of Nikudim. In the Kudim, individuality is not only real, it reigns supreme. It reigns supreme to the point that if you don't recognize and surrender to my individuality, you don't even exist. This is capitalism in its extreme. Capitalism in its extreme is what is mine is completely mine. Now this is a great motivator because what you create, you own, nobody else owns. I am for myself. I am for myself. Now in Zdoim, you have it in an extreme. Shali, shali, and shalach, shalach. And sometimes what is shalach is also shali, you know? <laughs> it's also shali. That's the opposite. That's the opposite, where, where individuality becomes extremely powerful, right? Talk about it in terms of communities. How should a community run? Should a community be based basically on the kehila or on the, the individual? Some of us grew up in societies where everything was the kehila, the kehila. The, they hear the word kehila, they have nightmares. There's nothing but the kehila. You can suffer, your family can suffer. The main thing is the kehila, right? Huh? Okay. Call it, I don't know. It's kehila, that's it. It's kehila. Yeah, that's it. You fit in, you don't fit in, but that's who you are. That's your idea. Even your birthday is not your birthday. Your birthday is when the kehila was born. That's your birthday, because that's who you are. And then there's others that say, no, life is about me. Life is not about, not community and not society. And it's not my parents and not my school and not my teachers. And the same question is about religion. Right? I am I. I am I. Yeah. Hillel says, huh? when you take either capitalism or social to extreme, then you have a little matov, which right. he's going to explain, it's my way or the highway. You know? Right. Right. Because it's always one is not a part of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Toyo was like extreme capitalism, you know? An extreme individuality. There's nothing but I. I to the exclusion of all else and everything else. But what we see here is that there's space for each one. In other words, in the evolution of reality, each one has its space. So when we have these emotions and we have these experiences, they have a place. You don't have to be afraid of them. They have a place. Primal, infinite, intense emotions, where you're the only one who exists, has its place. It's called Olam Hatayu. If you don't deal with it, it could break. It could break you and break other people. But it has its place. Olam HaKudim is actually the original source where there's absolutely no distinctions and no competitiveness. And yet, everything is all that everything is there. Because what's nirgish is the ain't safe. It's very, very meduyak. Uh, because you, you say you're supposed to really evolve from Olam for it, deal with it. A baby is the classic example of someone who's Olam yeah. Because nothing exists in yes. the baby. Yes. His, matu- his or her maturity yeah. means moving beyond yeah. that. In the baby's world, I am the only thing that exists. My mother's very raison d'etre, her very mitzvah is here just to serve me. There's no such a thing, your baby wakes up 3 o'clock in the morning, after waking up 2 o'clock in the morning, after waking up 12 o'clock, and mommy turns to the baby and says, I love you so much, mommy hasn't slept in three weeks, give me another 45 minutes, let me nap, and then I'll change your pamper, I'll nurse you, I'll play with you, I'll spend time with you, I'll talk to you. 
The baby looks at the mother and says, absolutely not. It's not negotiable. You're going to change my pamper now. You're going to hold me now. You're going to nurse me now. And if not, I will make your life miserable. And that's exactly what the baby does. It fulfills its pledge. It hollers and screams until you learn your lesson. (laughs) That there's no negotiations. I am the king in this house, and everybody is here to serve me. Now, some of us actually never leave that paradigm. (laughs) We just scream and shout in different ways, but essentially that's what we do throughout our life. Right? And mommy says, but I work so hard for you. <laughs> and I'm here. It doesn't make a difference. I am on. And as a one guy once said, I think I told you, he once said that he uh, always likes to wake up in the middle of the night to help his wife, but since it's Xerius Hakosov, that she should do it, so therefore he goes back to sleep, as the Pasuk says, Rabbi Smachshavois Belev Ish. The man lies in bed and he has many thoughts to go and pick up the baby and give him a bottle. But Atzas Hashem, the way the Rebbeinu Shleilam wanted it, is he suckled. <laughs> she should stand up. She should rise and he should go back to sleep. So he says, Ma esel, shleilam. I can't rebel, I can't uh, defy God's decree, God's edict. Okay, so this is the, the baby grows up, and this is the common, this is the conception. This is, this is the baby's paradigm. This is essentially an expression of toyo. Your midas are fully, fully extreme, and there's no room for anything else, anybody else. Part of maturity, part of growing up, is that moichin come in. And what is moichin? Moichin is awareness. And the awareness of moichin basically tells the midas that you're entitled to your emotion, but you also have to create space and understand that there's somebody else who exists. And yes, you have your needs, but they also have their needs. And really... Together you can create something much larger, anyhow. And that's why it's not only you have to compromise, it's also in the compromise, you're enhanced. But that makes the Midas weaker. And it's the weakness that allows the coexistence. Where in Akudim, it's not the weakness that allows the coexistence, it's actually the ultimate strength that allows the coexistence. The fact that it's aligned with its ultimate source that it allow, allows its coexistence. In other words, the fact that it's infinitely strong is what allows its coexistence. In Brudim, if you would translate that model into Brudim, you would lose it. Why? Because that's what Toyu is. Toyu is the attempt of translating the ultimate strength, but without the key, which is that you're all an expression of Ein Saif. So, really, as a Kudim as the Rebbeinu Shalom wanted to create a reality outside of Akudim, it was a transition from transcendence to identity, from from ayin to yesh, right? For com- from complete bittel to mitzias, from from non-existence to existence. Because in Akudim, it's non-existent. What do I mean, non-existence? It exists, but what is its definition of ex- it's non-existence in our terms? It exists as an expression of Ein Saif, as endlessness. But when you want that evolution from transcendence into identity, now it takes time to develop a system here. So in Taihu, you grab onto identity, but you're still busy with infinity. So your identity is infinite. And in Tikkun, basically what happens is the identity surrenders to the other identity because there's a feeling of Ein Saif, and that's the compromise that Tikkun creates. Which system is the system of Torah? 
there was once the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, known as the Rebbe Rayatz, was in a train. He writes us he was traveling in a train. This was in the, in the early 1900s. And then the debates were very fierce. Young Jews would sit in the salons in Berlin and the cafeterias in Paris and in the, in the, in the, in the, in the cafeterias of Russia and they would, whoever it was, whatever the Starbucks was, the Zarbucks, and they would, uh, and they would debate the future of society. This was, this was it, you know. Everybody was busy saving the world. Today, you're looking for iPhone 7. But they were busy saving the world. Everybody was waxing eloquent about saving the world. You had, of course, Zionism was one way of saving the world. And socialism. And then in socialism, you had the Bundistan. It was quite the, the, the Yiddishista. It was very, very fragmented. Religion was mamish on the decline in a very serious way. And all the yeshivas in Europe had maybe a few thousand bacher. Probably 50% of Jewish society left Judaism in the late 1800s and 1900s, between the World Wars and before the First World War. It was a complete, in terms of the Jewish future, the situation was beyond bleak. It wasn't a simple time. It was a time of tremendous upheavals and also tremendous bloodshed and suffering as well. Everything that people took for granted and security was shaken up to its essence. So he was on a train and he, he hears a debate between <coughs> Jews what system of government is the Torah system of government. Many argue that socialism is exactly what Torah wants. No ribis, trumas, maestres, maestres. You think you own a field? You own nothing. Peya is aniyim, leket, shikha, trumas, the koyin, maeserishin, is the kilavia, maeseroni, poor people, maesersheni, Yerushalayim. Yeah, we learned, huh? Let's go to do. Of course, maeses go. Oh, so many halachas. The whole concept of a minion, all these things, tzibur, altifrish, etc., the klal, klal, avasis, all these halachas, this is socialism. socialism. No such a thing. The Gemara says in, in Balabasra, koifin, mashkin, and alatzdaka. You don't want to give tzdaka, they come, they take away, they take away, no, no, there's no, you take away all the money that you owe for tzdaka. And even if you made a lot of money, so this this meiser has to go for tzedakah, and uh, even a chaymish, okay, al yavazbas, but twenty percent, etc. And you have to; it's not voluntary. I'm giving tzedakah because I'm a nice guy. You have to give tzedakah. This is socialism. Others argue it's not true. Torah is a capitalistic uh, religion. There's ownership. Look, look learn Hilchas Kenyan, learn Baba Kama, learn Baba Metzia, learn Baba Basra. This is my house. This is my house. Much of Allah, it's all mine. There's ownership, there's our identity, there's property, there's poor people, there's rich people. Huh? But everywhere else, Yeah? Flat rate They're arguing. So there was a big debate. Which one is Torah, the Torah Derech? Which was basically the West it was America versus uh, versus the Soviet Union. This was a big question, and um, so they turned to the Rebbe, to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rayats, and they asked him what his opinion was. He said something very very profound. He said, 
every system that was created by mankind from the beginning of creation, in philosophy, in psychology, in politics, and in any other field of wisdom, generally there's a klal, ein toiv beloi rav, ein rav toiv. It has segments of toiv in it, because the human mind has in it toiv. Things that are beneficial, productive, and divine. And it has elements of ra. Broken, destructive, wrong, erroneous. And there's no system that's going to be a perfect system. There's elements and what we would call sparks of holiness. And there's debris, there's garbage, there's rubble. And it's mixed, it's mixed. And he said, the toiv in every shitta is ultimately taken from Torah. Every shitta, the toiv in that shitta is taken from Torah. Now the Torah is the conglomerate of the toiv in every shitta. The nekudas ha-toiv that you'll find in every shitta will originate back into Torah. <laughs> On a different level, Rav Kuk writes, Rav Ramit Zagakoyen Kuk writes, what's pshat? It says that when Mashiach comes, the Pasuk says in Svanya, the Rambam brings in the Hilchus Malachim, Az epech el amim safa brura, likre kulam b'shem Hashem la'avdei shechem echad. I will call out to all the nations, there will be a, a straight language, a common language, everybody will call out in the name of the same God, and everybody will worship one God. <coughs> Rashi really teaches in Parshas Vashchan, Shema Yisrael, Hashem alakeinu, Hashem echad. You know what Rashi teaches? What do you have to think about Shema Yisrael? What do you think by Shema Yisrael? According to Rashi, you're really thinking about Mashiach. You know that? That's what Rashi says. I'll tell you what Rashi, you can look it up. Shema Yisrael, listen Jews. Hashem Alekeinu, the God who's our God, today, Hashem Echad. When Mashiach comes, he's not going to be our God anymore. It's going to be one God. That's how Rashi touches Pshut Yishlamikra. Hashem Alekeinu, today, is really Hashem Echad. That's what's going to happen. That's how Rashi touches the Pasuk. Because, I mean, it's a little bit of a difficult Pasuk. Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Alekeinu. Just say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Echad. If you remember the Maimon Shemalis, my Mamakim spoke about that. What Hashem, Alekeinu, Yisrael, Yaakov, and all that. But that's Rashi's Pshat. So if Cook asked a question, it's a very good question, I'm going to ask it a little bit in my words. So what is exactly, what is it going to look like? Basically, all the Zen Buddhists are going to move into Borough Park for Shabbos, and after Shabbos, they're going to have a Kiddush, and they're going to eat jalapeno herring, and sponge cake, and shalant. I mean, all the Goyim will die immediately. And especially in the East, I mean, either from heart attacks, or from... from what? What do we? What do we really mean? Really mean that everybody's going to become integrated into this uh, amazing Jewish culture? And what about all the elements of Jewish culture that are not ayayay? So what exactly is going to happen? Suddenly we're going to be uh, we're going to we're now fourteen million, right? Maybe two million people come to shul. So suddenly there's going to be seven billion people <coughs> who are going to who are going to uh, start arguing with the gabai about who gets shishi. I mean, what's exactly what is it exactly going to look like? Who gets Galila, who gets Hagbid, the sermon was too long, the sermon was too long, who sits in Mizrach, who sits in Maid of Yisrael. Etc. So he said a very powerful insight, which is really what uh, the, the, the previous insight, he said, it said as follows. He said every culture, every, almost, I, I should say almost, almost every culture, every civilization, every nationality, has a certain identity and a certain lifestyle. Ain't toiv beloi rav, ain't it has within a divine spark some things that are very beneficial, very meaningful, including religion. Take Christianity. Take Islam. There's some components that have produced very good behavior. Christians, in the name of Christianity, have sometimes done and do a lot of good because of certain ideals that exist in that religion. The same is true with 
I should say, I mean, <laughs> other religions as well. But we also know that a lot of them, most of them, have components that are very, very corrupt and sometimes evil. Christianity, the name of Christianity, has murdered millions. Look what Islam today, fundamentalists, is doing in the name of Islam. It's all in the name of Islam. Yeah. I should say Allah Havdil. We also know, some of us know this very well, that some of our Jewish co-religionists can use Judaism as well and turn it into a very, very corrupt system that has nothing to do with truth. It's about manipulation, dictatorship, oppression, and abuse. Huh? Whatever, yeah. And always the name of God is used. It's never about me. If it was about me, I could forgive you. But it's not about me. It's about Kvayt Shemayim. Because Kvayt Shemayim, I could murder you, I could murder your wife, I could murder your kids, I could embarrass you, I could throw you out, I can burn down your house, even if your kids are sleeping in the middle of the night. It's not a problem, because I work for God. I work for God. So we all understand this. Now sometimes it's the individuals, sometimes it's a community, sometimes it's the whole religion is, is rotten to its core. Because the authors of the religion are rotten to their core, or not to their core, but ain't to have He said, what's going to happen when Mashiach comes is, the Nekudas HaToiv that exists in every philosophy will emerge fully, and everybody will be able to identify the source of that Toiv and Torah. So the unity that's going to happen is, the Ra of it will be able to be disregarded, and the Toiv of it will be able to emerge, and they'll be able to celebrate those elements in their culture and their religion that represent the divine spark that always existed there, without all of the accessories that are really garbage and, and, and toxic. And therefore the unity with the Jewish people will happen automatically because the recognition of the source of all the elements of Torah will be there. So now you ask, is Torah socialistic or capitalistic? Is Torah about identity to an extreme or is Torah about surrender to community? It's about the larger good, the collective good or the individual good. The Yachid or the Tzibur. You'll read Torah and you'll find support for everything. You'll find my Mare Chazal, you know, sometimes people write articles, and they prove that Torah doesn't believe in individuality, and they'll bring you like a hundred Gemaras. And I think, and I'll bring you a hundred Gemaras, the exact opposite. It's a Machaye, he's quoting Gemaras. You want to quote? You can quote. Etc., etc. Huh? Yeah. Now, who's right? The truth is, there's a tension. There's a tension. There's, tension. There's an element here that's very toiv. There's an element in socialism that is very, very idealistic. There's an element in capitalism that is very, very toiv. Personal ownership creates personal creativity, creates personal initiative. But even more than that, is identity real or not? That's the question. That's the real question. Is identity real? In other words, can we create a world in which we don't really recognize identity? Can we create a society in which we don't really believe in it? It's almost like an illness. I read about a certain place that if people have issues, they right away medicate them. If they don't fit into the system, they give them medication. It's almost like nebach. <laughs> You're like a nebach case. You didn't conform. Okay, we'll medicate you. And Baruch Hashem, your brains will fry, and you'll conform, and everything will be wonderful. It's like this recognition that you're sick if you have this... Uh, this need for identity. Well, really what we're learning here is that that's a wrong description of life. There's an element of Akudim where we're really all part of one. We're part of Ein Saif. But life is also the transition into a world of being, into a world of identity. It's called Tem Kairis and Tem Kalim. They're not the same anymore. In Toyu, you go to an extreme. 
Tikkun now comes back. But these are the components where Tikkun tries to negotiate between the truth of Akudim and the truth of Nekudim. <coughs> Tikkun doesn't say, let's just go back to Akudim. Let's just nuke the whole system <laughs> and just go back to Akudim and everything will be wonderful. Why don't you just do that? If Tayyu was such a disaster, so let's nuke it and go back. No, 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 no. We leave Tayyu. You have to work with Tayyu. You have to deal with Tayyu. Tikkun elevates Tayyu. Tikkun sublimates Tayyu. Tikkun basically negotiates between Akudim and Tayyu. It embraces Tayyu in the sense of identity. It embraces Akudim in the sense that my identity needs to create space for your identity. So as a result of that, we have here a situation where Hillel says, Im anili mili, If I am not for myself, who will be here for me? But if I am only for myself, what am I? So listen to his words. If I am not for myself, who will be here for me? I have to be here for myself. This is not a selfish statement, it's a spiritual statement. I was created to be I. I was not created to be you. If I will not be here for me, I will be failing God, not only me. You understand what I'm saying? I will be failing God because he created me to be me. I have a gift, I have a contribution. It would be like a musician who has, you know, would be like a... Uh, it would be like Mozart saying, I'm sorry, I don't play the piano. I'm not different than anybody else. He doesn't play the piano, I don't play the piano. Who are you failing? Not only failing yourself, you're failing history. You're failing your mission, you're failing your purpose. If I am not for me, me Lee. Who is here for me? It's not a statement of neediness or of, or of competitiveness or of uh, an Ayn Rand extreme independence like, I will fight for myself. Maybe that too. But mealy means, I can't have you be, live me. I need to live me, because you have to live you. What do they say? Don't copy other people. They're taken already. They're taken. Or somebody said, we're all born originals, but many of us die, most of us die as copies. So, so, if I am not here for me, mealy, who will be able to do that? This is my shlichus. Identity is real. I have my oil and my keli, and you can't do my oil because you have yours. Now, but if I'm only for myself, then mo'ani. Then, then what am I? What is he saying here? What he's saying here is, just like if you're depriving yourself from the gift of self, if I'm only for myself, then mo'ani, I'm equally depriving my ani from my ani. I'm limiting my ani to my ani. atzmi. If I'm only for myself, ma'ani. Really your ani is much larger than your ani. Because your ani really is rooted in infinity. If you want to become I, you have to recognize that your I is infinite. Your I is not just a little small orbit. And infinity I can experience only in the relationship that I have with myself, of course, with others, with the universe and with God. So which one is true? And the answer is, that is exactly the point. The point is that there are these states of consciousness, and each one captures a certain, each one captures a certain truth. You know, there's a very interesting machloikas in Masech Saita, how the Jews sang the Shira. It's one of these machloikas, and you read it, it's like, we have to argue about everything? There's like nothing that you could just leave alone? I don't have a problem with that. Moshe and the Jews sang, but of course the Gemara has a problem. 
Because if the Jews sang, then Moshe didn't sing. And if Moshe sang, they didn't choose. So what was it? Moshe solist? Moshe was the vocalist? Moshe was the chazan? Moshe was, Moshe was Helfgott? What was happening here? Who was singing? Moshe or the Jews? When you have a concert, one guy sings and everybody sits and, 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 and videos. So who, say, who sings? Az Yashem Moshe Uvene Yisrael. It says Uvene Yisrael. Okay, that works for you. That works for you. But how exactly did it happen? He was louder. Usually if there's four million people singing and there's one person singing, you won't hear him. Right? MS? So what shot? It never bothered you. Okay. So in Mesechtas Saita Daflamin, it's a huge machloikas. Huge. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Nechemia, Gansa machloikas. Rabbi Akiva says only Moshe did it. Nobody else did it. Nobody sang. Only Moshe. So what did the Jews do? Basically, Moshe said this year, at the end of every Pasuk, they all screamed, Ashir al Like a real, real, uh, huh? a real concert. So Moshe says, Ashir uh, al ga. Four million people. Ashir al that's what happened. They did the, what is it called, the chorus, the, the responsive, the responsive chorus at the end of every stanza. That's his shit, huh? The pizman, yeah, the pizman, yeah. Rebeleza is no. Moshe Rabbeinu said the shira. And they also said the shira. So why does it say he? They repeated after him. He was the soloist. He was the shliach tzibur. He said, and they repeated. Mechemi says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. He's telling us, Vayomru leimeris. They repeated after him. He says, Az yashem Moshe of Neisos Ashira Azes Lashem Vayomru leimer. Moshe just started off the shira. He started it off, and then they went on their own. Independent, they went on their own. That's the third shitta. So Moshe started off. He gave the the cue. He gave the marching orders. He started to sing, and then he was quiet. He was just part of everybody, and they continued singing the whole thing. The chiddush is that they sang the same song. If you're repeating after somebody else, it's not a problem. If you're just giving the chorus, it's also not a problem. But for everybody to sing on their own and yet sing the same thing. That was the amazing uh, quality that they sensed. They sensed a, a, a certain consciousness and awareness that expressed itself in one in one song. Now, what's the Teichen Amachlekes? <laughs> you hear what the Teichen Amachlekes is? Soita daf lamed amid beis. I think. What's the Machlekes? Akudim, akudim, yeah, nekudim brudim. It's not a small Machlekes. These are three models of leadership. It's three models of leadership. How do you define it? There's one model where you create loyalty. There's another model where you create students. And there's another model where you create leaders. Yeah? In one model, you create loyalty. You create people who are loyal to you. Moshe sings, but four million people say, we're in, Ashir Hashem. And that's a very special moment. If it's not corrupt, of course. You have dicta. We're not talking about Fidel Castro in here. When it's a moment like Moshe, it's like where four million people can melt away in the oneness. Rashi says in Chukas, Moshe hu Yisrael, 
Yisrael Hemoisha Hanasi Hu Akoil. Rashi and Parshas Chukas. Hanasi Hu Akoil. The Rambam says in Hilchas Malachim, Leiv Hamelech Hu Leiv Kol Kahal Yisrael. The the heartbeat of the king is the heartbeat of Klal Yisrael. It's one heartbeat. Imagine four million people could feel one heartbeat. That's what happened. Willingly, and we're talking about enthusiastically, we're not talking about by coercion. That was the level. The loyalty, the dedication. They all found their place in Moshe Rabbeinu. How can I and you find our place in Moshe We can't. We're separate. If we could find our Ein Soif, then and Moshe is completely bottled. He's a conduit. There's no ego there. That was Moshe. That's what we're talking about. Moshe is a kudim. Moshe is the man. We'll soon see. This is Moshe. So if Moshe is a conduit, if Moshe has an ego, this doesn't work only through dictatorship. Because then it's his ego versus my ego. He crushes me and then I surrender. But it's not surrender. It's basically I become an evid, an evid and a shift. That's a whole different, we're not talking about that. That's a different level. That's oppressing what is. A kudim doesn't oppress. No, no oppression. On the contrary, it's as he says here: the midas and akudim are not suppressed. They're actually the most powerful. Why are they the most powerful? Because they're aligned with the ultimate truth. But over there, this complete bitalosa, the humility, the sense of self, and the sense of selflessness is one, because the self is selfless. You're with me. The definition of self is selfless. The definition of I is eyeless. I just make up a word. Does it work? The Michelle, does it work? Doesn't work. Okay. It works for, for us. To understand. Right, it works for us. It's okay. It's an next Apple product. <laughs> <laughs> the definition. The definition. Okay, let's do a different. The definition of the I is the definition of the I is the larger infinite I, and that I merges with it, and it doesn't compromise. It's not like I feel. Oh, I'm never tortured. It's the greatest spiritual, if I could use the word, orgasmic spiritual experience in the sense that you melt away. And it's the ultimate freedom. I don't have to carry the burden of existence. You know how heavy the burden of existence is? The feeling that I have to exist? That's a very hard feeling. Does anybody have that feeling? You wake up in the morning and you say, I have to exist. And anybody who makes me feel I don't exist, I have to murder them. That's a very hard burden. Imagine you don't feel you have to exist. You just let God exist. You know how easy it is? Life is. When your wife criticizes you, it's like wonderful. Come on. You're talking to God. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's fine. No, but I mean, that concept, there's no burden of existence. There's no burden of self, of self-consciousness. They melt away in Moshe. Why Moshe? Because Moshe is not Moshe. Right? Moshe is not a Moshe. Moshe's Metzius is Kvat Pel, Kvat Loshen. Moshe is the conduit for infinity. That's the first Shittim. That's Rabbi Akiva. Huh? Shlemusa de Kula. In Moshe, where Ein Soif was revealed, everybody could find their space and in a completely equal fashion. They could melt, their individuality melts in that Ashira Lashem. Moshe sings, and they melt in that Ashira Lashem. Moshe's Oasis Hashem, yeah. Moshe's also Oasis Ma, Mem and He, which is Venachnu Ma, complete Bittl. Complete Bittl. So in Moshe, we can all, like, so to speak, find that complete unity. The second shitta says, that's not enough. You know why? Because we don't live in that space. People ultimately are going to go home for breakfast. <laughs> the shir is going to, we're going to go home for breakfast. What happens when we go home for breakfast? You know, Woodstock and Yitzstock could be very nice. 
as long as you're, you know, you're 22 years old, and you're floating, and you're spiritual, and you're one. And then, the yeshiva says, you got to pay tuition, you know. So you say, okay, let Akudim pay tuition, you know. Let the Ain Saif pay tuition. You know, what happens now? We don't really live in that world. You live in the world of identity. So there's a second level of leadership, and that is you don't inspire loyalty, you inspire great students. Moshe said the Shira, and they internalized it and repeated it. This doesn't mean they repeated it like a parrot, like in Cheder. Zagiber, They repeated it from, from, from their own space. In other words, Moshe infused them with his vision. Moshe infused them with his vision. So his Shira becomes their Shira. So these are not just people who surrender, the people who maintain something. It goes inside of me. But I'm a student with a teacher. I'm a student who's receiving from a teacher. Then there's the deeper challenge. The deeper challenge is, ah, I'm just, uh, I'm doing a little bit of a free association. I'm not, uh, not, not a, a perfect lumbus here. Just the concepts. Reb Nechemia says, however, there's something deeper. You know, there's a time in history when Moshe Rabbeinu is not there. There's a time that the Talmud can't sit by his Rebbe and just listen and then absorb and take it home. There's a time that his master is not there. Moshe is, is not there forever. So what happens now? Reb Nechemia says that the real leader doesn't create followers. He creates leaders. He creates people who are independent. The real leader is so successful that he creates people who don't need him. What do I mean they don't need him? Not that they really don't need him. They are connected to him mostly by being disconnected from him. His greatest tribute is that he's completely not here. And yet he is completely here. Because his presence is not through his presence, his presence is through their presence. You with me? That's why in the Haggadah, there's no name of Moshe in the whole Haggadah. And people say, why don't we recognize Moshe's? The answer is the greatest recognition you can give to Moshe is by not recognizing him. That's his ultimate recognition. It's the greatest recognition he gives. The Chidush Yarim says, That's why no huh? That's why <laughs> The Gemara says, <laughs> Somebody who sacrifices himself for Divrei Torah, you will not mention his name. The whole Sugim Babakama that David HaMelech sent Shluchim to the Plishtim, to Sanhedrin, and it was a time of Messiris Nefesh, to find out a halacha. The halacha is, if I'm allowed to save my life by being Mazik, Mom, and Chavera. We don't quote them, because they had Messiris Nefesh for Divya Tayyida. What's Pshat? Why if you have Messiris Nefesh we don't quote you? So look at two perspectives. The Nitziv and the Chidush Yehudim. The Nitziv says, because you're Ma'abed Atzmel Adas, you're not allowed to die for Tayyida. You are, you get punished. We don't say your name. Nitziv. Balajna Rosh Hashim. Chidush Yerim asks the same question. You know what his answer is? You don't quote him because he became one with Torah. His very eye merged with Torah, so you don't quote him. There's no him. He is Torah. He's a shtick Torah because he's Moisir Atzma al Torah. He says, Where do you see that? In Parshas Va'ata Tetzava. In Parshas Va'ata Tetzava, Moisir's name is deleted. Why? So it says, because Moshe told Hashem, Erase me from the Sefer Torah. If you don't forgive the Jewish people, erase me from the Torah. Moshe at that moment was Moser Atzmai for Divinity Torah, and Moser Atzmai for Klal Yisrael. So he says, there's no name, because he said at that moment Moshe became so one with God, there's no name. 
Till that point, it was Tefillah Lamoisha Ishalakim. And at that moment, there's no Ish anymore. It's completely one. So the real Moshe you see when there's no Moshe. That's where you see Moshe. What Moshe accomplished is that the Jewish people have Moshe in their bones, in their kishkas. So even when he's not singing, Moshe gives the marching orders. Moshe says, Chavre, let's go. And they take the ball and they run. And who runs? They run. It's with the Koyach of the insight of Moshe. But it becomes so much theirs, they're not even students anymore. They're leaders. They sing on their own. And yet they sing one song. Because here, within individuality, you recognize the insight. That's the deepest level. On one hand, I'm singing and you're singing, and we're not following anybody. But we're still singing the same song. Why? Because here you reach a state where you, f- you discover the great paradox. The great discovery is that when you go deep, deep, deep down into individuality, Toyu is really a little bit mistaken. Because Toyu believes that individuality and Ein Soif are essentially a paradox. So if I exist, you can't exist. You come to a deeper level and you realize that the ultimate I, the ultimate I is Ein Soif. And when the ultimate I is Ein Soif, so I could be fully present and you could be fully present and we could sing the same song. But not by obliterating it. On the contrary. So this is where you, so to speak, recreate Akudim in a world of identity, because Akudim is not such a Chiddush, because it's before identity. Yeah. But in order to get, recreate Akudim, you have to have the tension of Toyo and Tikkun. Because if you only have Tikkun, then you weaken individuality. If you only have Toyo, individuality goes Meshuggah. In the tension between Toyo and Tikkun, the respect that Toyo creates for Tikkun, and the respect that Tikkun has for Toyo, they meet Akudim. You don't make fun of Toyo. You have to respect Toyo. You have to create space for it. There's something very real about it. Identity. Toyo has to create space for tikkun. It has to be nisala through tikkun. And that is unity, synthesis, compromise. The tension between the two. That's where akudim is recaptured in the real world. Akudim is recaptured in the real world. Okay. Okay. Animals generally are toyo. They're very distinctive. Very, uh, I am who I am. There's no compromise with an animal. That's the only world they occupy, or they're primarily focused on that. They're primarily focused on that. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.